This episode of Powered by Women is brought to you in part by In Search of the New Compassionate Male. For more information, go to newcompassionatemale.com. You've heard of steam-powered, horse-powered, and gas-powered, rev your engines. And then there's solar-powered, man-powered, and the old electric. But get this even though Dennis is directing this. This show is solely lunar. Hello, welcome to Powered by Women. I am Diane Call, your host, and I am so happy that you are with me today because we have a very special guest. And before we bring her on, I do want to thank Clay Boykin for sponsoring this program. And I'm sure as you saw and heard at the beginning of this show, Clay has this movement in search of the new compassionate male. And it provides such, such a wonderful and welcome balance, especially as we women or who identify as women, as we are learning even more so how to be unapologetic and fully present in our lives. You know, claiming our space without apologizing. And, you know, I, I was one of those women and I would even say, you know, into, you know, as, late back as my teens, my default was always to apologize. You know, that old stereotype of somebody would bump into me who I didn't know, I'm sorry. And yeah, I had a friend uh, that would call me on it every time. And then I would apologize for apologizing. And then she'd call me on that. And then, you know, then I'd apologize for apologizing for the original apology and, you know, minutes later, I was up to 50 apologies. And, you know, I just really think that we women have that internal battle, you know, we have to contend with that at some point in our lives. And I cannot think of a better guest than to explore this topic with and and other topics, because the show I am always open to whatever comes up in the conversation. But um, our guest today, whenever I, I, I watch her or whenever I hear her, I, I think of confidence and she just has this quiet power about her. Just the way that she holds herself is just so cool and, and inspirational. So let me tell you a little bit about her before we, we bring her on. Uh, musical expression, educating and imparting knowledge to others are such strong guiding forces in her life. And she is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist. Uh, she has several self-produced solo albums. Uh, and she goes by the moniker of Nerd Queen. And I cannot wait to uh, learn more about how Nerd Queen came about. Uh, she's also a second grade teacher. She's a vocal coach. She gives music lessons. And she also coaches new and aspiring artists so that they can realize and manifest their creative dreams, their creative goals, finding their creative voice. And 
In my opinion, she is a wealth of knowledge and life experience. So let's bring her on, Monica Arrington. Hi. Hello, Monica. Hi, Diane. <laughs> I am so happy that you are here today. Same here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I would like to start with, you know, Monica's moniker <laughs> of, of Nerd Queen. And, and how did that come about? Well, I think that started in high school. Um, I, I maybe want to go roll back just a touch where I wanted, I realized I wanted to pursue music early on. Mm -hmm. um, and because I wanted to pursue music early on, um, I also thought it would be a cool idea to have a record company. Um, and so again, in high school, coming up with ideas or names or, you know, what am I gonna call this, this record label? You know, so I came up with the idea of Nerd Queen because um, first of all, I value education and in the circle of um, associates that are ran with in school, like we, we all valued education. And so mm -hmm. I you know, figured that, well, if I'm a nerd, I wanna be number one. <laughs> so, uh, the nerd queen, you know, so that's yeah. where that name came from. I love it. it. The first time I heard it, it got my attention just right away, you know, and just got my curiosity going too. Yeah, for, from one nerd to another <laughs> and, and embracing that. Uh, so you were born in Indiana and then your family moved to a farm in Alabama to live, um, as you said, an alternative lifestyle. And I'm curious about that. I just wonder if you could discuss that a bit. Yeah, um, actually, again, rolling it back history-wise, like yeah. both my parents are from Alabama. Um, and so when they moved, each one, you know, separately before they met each other, um, moved and ended up in Indiana. They family, both families knew each other, but they did not know each other. But um, eventually they, you know, met each other, got married um, and then moved back to uh, Alabama to my mother's family uh, farm, estate, uh, land. Mm -hmm. So, um we we grew up amongst um you know basically my mother's family my father's family too but mostly every day i would see my grandparents and my uh most of my aunts and uncles and cousins and things like that so and i'm curious as to how that experience shaped who you are today and what influenced that that play yeah i think i think that was the key to to a lot of it um i know my dad you know, talking with him, he wanted, he, he wanted to get away from, you know, I guess neighborhoods and, and um, suburbia and city life. Um, he grew up in as a city kid and he didn't like that, you know, yeah. in his growing up. And so he had that fantasy of like, I want to have a farm. And, you know, my mom had, had the means. So we went and, and lived that life. Um, I think, you know, when we're kids, you know, you think, oh, it's so boring out here and there's nothing to do and there's nobody to talk to. And yeah, this was up in the 80s. So there was, of course, no Internet and, you know, just not a lot out there. Just but, like Pong, maybe. Right. 
Yeah. Like I, we had to set it in encyclopedias. Now that was my internet. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that was key in that there were no outside influences in my life. Um, not to say there's anything wrong with having friends or other people around you, but sometimes, yeah, those are the forces that shape you and I don't damage you sometimes. So mm-hmm. I did not have that growing up. I had my family and mm-hmm. I got an opportunity to explore the things that piqued my curiosity that and those set of encyclopedias, you know, so, and I was always a child that asked lots of questions. Um, Even if my parents didn't know the answers, they're like, I don't know, you know, so I was definitely one of those uh, type of curious children. And yeah, I think that was very key in my uh, beginnings where I just did not have a lot of people telling me, oh, you can't do this or you can't do this. Like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just yeah it's like the whole world was open Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and not having kind of those external limitations you know or perceived limitations yes yeah and you know one of the first things i learned about you is that you were or are i should say trained as an opera singer and that that started in high school yes yeah yeah and again, part of the, the whole idea of, of me just exploring things that interest me, um, both sides of my family love music. Um, again, my mother's side, performers in the church, and I knew I loved singing. And it wasn't until I was about 11 years old that when I first heard um, Debbie Gibson on the radio and uh hearing the DJ say, she's only 16 years old. And I was like, wait, what? She's 16. Wait, I'm 11. I can do that. I, I sing. I could probably write too. You know, so from there, I knew the game plan started churning for me. I was like, well, how do, like, whatever she did, I need to figure out what she did to get there, you know? Mm-hmm. And from there, I knew, like, she, she took a lot of training. You know, learn yeah. from her biography. She took a lot of training. It's like, well, that means I need to take a lot of training. And because I didn't, again, have people tell me like, opera is only for this kind of person. And our school at the time, the high school, offered um, an operatic component, also op- offered a musical theater. Um, but I thought I was like, well, I'll, I want to do the opera if if there's you know if there's lessons to be had, I'm I'm going to take the opera because I feel like that's going to give me more of what I need. Um, so yeah, so from there, I I I took it very seriously, almost like scrutinizingly seriously, where I had to unlearn a lot of things in college. Ah, uh, yeah, and you know it. it that just shows such boldness and courage because not many people are drawn to want to sing opera at such a young age, because I mean, you really put yourself out there, mm-hmm. you know, and that voice is so prominent. And I, I am curious about what it was like for you when you first heard that voice come out of you, when you felt in alignment with it. I am so curious about what that was like. <laughs> Again, it happened in high school. Again, I think yeah. because I was so like in in my own brain 
trying to get it mechanically right. And that's what I mean by unlearning some things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, again, super, super determined on, okay, I want to do this. I have to stand this way. The posture must be this way. Um, and it wasn't until about a year in um, doing it that there was still some kind of block for me. And that was the, I'd like to call it now embodiment part of it and just be, not mm-hmm. it, just be it. You know it, just let it come out. So the voice itself finally came, I think around when I was 16, almost 17. And it was just a matter of, I know it, you know it, relax and let it, let it be. And mm-hmm. that's where the voice was there. Yeah, how powerful, you know, and it, as I'm listening to you, I can't help but think how cool that would be if young girls, if it was like required training, you know, that just to take some operatic training as, as a young girl, because, you know, it builds confidence and just standing fully present, yes. unapologetic, you know. Oh, yes. And then there's, of course, the whole attitude of it, too. So um, my teacher, well, a couple of my teachers had some wonderful teachers, but um, she sang for the Met for some year, a couple of years and uh, moved back to Alabama for family and things like that. And so you get this the whole the whole experience of being literally the diva. And there's no just, you know don't apologize for being the diva. You know your your body, you know what you need, because again, you get the training physically and you just tell people, look, this is what I need. And you can't, you can't cower in that because this is your, it's your body. They don't know what's in your body. Only you know what's in your own body. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got that whole, that whole experience from my, my teachers at that time. And do you, uh, in when you do vocal coaching now, do you have, you know, younger women, younger girls that you are imparting that that type of knowledge to? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's a part of it. It's like, yeah. you know, you must know yourself. Don't let any, and I, I, that's, again, throwing in a lot of the, the life coaching and the artistic development, yeah. um, the work. It's more than just singing the notes. You don't want anyone to think of, I mean, it's a, it's a career, just like any other career. You want to protect your instrument. You want to protect the longevity of, of your craft. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want, well, yeah, I, I give people those cautionary tales of those famous you know, singers who had to have the operation because they didn't take care of their body and they um, let other people overwork them and over, you know, extend them for the sake of um, the masses. Like, oh, if you don't do this now, and if you don't do this engagement, if you don't do this, you know, we hear these stories of, you know, people having exhaustion and little, I wish more people would know how many famous singers have had that, you know, the operation for those vocal nodes, because, they did not take care of their body, not because they didn't want to, it's because they didn't listen to themselves and they let yeah. other people tell them what they should be doing. Yeah. 
You know, I, I hear such a thread as we're talking about how your early childhood experiences really have influenced that that strong inner voice that you have. Yeah. You know, and even with your your students and your, you know, mentees, I think that's the correct phrase. Would it be yeah. mentees? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me ask you this. Was there ever a time in your life when you felt that internal type of struggle of, you know, kind of over apologizing? Did you ever experience that? Not really. <laughs> um, You're sorry, one of the lucky ones. Again, because, <laughs> uh, because of how I grew up and I was the oldest in my family and, you know, I'm going to pat my dad on the back on this, like Vietnam <laughs> vet, combat wounded. He was also a feminist and is like, he totally is about women doing ruling the world. Like he, he wants women to be in charge, you know, rather than, cause he, he's a man, he knows. He's like, <laughs> this up. We need women. so he's always been in my corner in this, in this. And I don't think we've ever had, or me ever had a situation where I had to feel like, I'm small to a to qualify myself to be in a certain space. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, he has definitely been a part of that. And I even remember yeah. academically in school where I would just I'm, I'm one one of those again, curious girls and you know, just like who who are you to tell me I can't do this because I, I it's in my brain, so I don't see the problem, you know. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. And I know because I've I've watched your uh, the the course that you taught on Kimono My House, which is a Facebook group. You uh, had a calm series, and yeah. just talking about that mindset, how that mindset is so important. It really yeah. is. It really is, and I think I feel like as a society, if we all just took more time to, to really look into ourselves and look into what we actually want. Because I think most of the time we're very busy thinking that we want what people tell us what we should want. But if we actually take that time and listen to ourselves and take that time to know ourselves then a lot of issues won't be issues. Yes, yeah. You know, the one thing about the pandemic for me, especially last year, because, you know, a lot of us were in isolation. And for me, it was really grounding myself even more so just within and being even more in touch with my inner voice, my inner being, my inner spirit. And it is interesting this year, as things kind of roll out a little bit in, in having to contend more with those external influences, it really does set off this weird kind of dynamic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> I, I still am self kind of isolating in a lot of different ways yeah. because I do now have to work um, in a public school setting and yeah and, and as i'm coming out more with 
friends and associates and I'm, I don't, I, I guess it's called just having that taste of what I had before doesn't appeal to me anymore. You know, spending yeah. time with, again, with each other, with ourselves, um, thinking about the things at least I'm again now talking about myself, the things I actually want and desire and telling myself I actually deserve it. Yeah. You know, yes. we tell ourselves that, oh, you know, that costs too much money and I don't really deserve it. I can, you know, you actually deserve it because you want it. Yeah. No you yes. know, and we're all human beings just trying to figure out this thing called life, you know? <laughs> So we do deserve those things, yes. Yeah. With, with your younger students, what do you observe between the young girls and the young boys in second grade? That's a very, still a very malleable age. Yes. And I'm just wondering what, what you notice. Well, one of the things I do notice is um, girls tend to be more agreeable, more helpful, that we like to say. And um, other educators tend to play that up as a positive, not to say that it's not, it is. Um, and even at second grade and younger, a lot of the kids tend to have a lot of the same kind of uh, wanting to help personality traits. But yeah, it's a majority girls do tend to want to be helpful, want to be agreeable. They don't really speak out as far as like if something is bothering them physically, uh -huh. but emotionally um, that can be communicated more than what boys tend to do. More boys tend to have more of that physical manifestation of their feelings mm -hmm. um sometimes we have and this is where it gets interesting for me um observing how girls who don't follow those traits of being helpful and agreeable get get um categorized in a not so positive way isn't it's a sad truth isn't it yeah 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 i was really curious if you know to see that type of mindset that type of dynamic at such a young age and we as adults know that perfectly well too especially as women uh, have, have you ever come across that yourself you know you're 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 standing in what you believe and in your truth and and have you ever gotten that type of resistance back oh uh, you mean in my personal life yeah or personal or professional yeah oh yes all the time yeah. in fact i use it to my advantage <laughs> <laughs> do tell do tell i i think our audience would love to hear <laughs> um i think i want to call it like having a sense of guile you know where you you use the, the the stereotypes that people already have in their own brain and they're trying to put it on you and you just use it against them. So I, I, I don't want to say I'm just all that special as nerd queen, but 
people think I am and I'm really not. So the fact that I am in the skin that I am in baffles people. I've come to gigs before and mo when I started off, I was solo, completely solo mm -hmm. with a guitar. And so when I would show up to gigs, you know, people who are, you know, putting the show together and the sound crew and the sound guy um, will say, oh, well, who are you playing with? And you know, I would say, oh, I'm playing with Nerd Queen. <laughs> First of all, just like not knowing it's just me. <laughs> and um, if I have my one of my cases that is very rectangular, so you can't really tell what instrument is in it. Uh -huh. Most people would think it's like a keyboard or something like that. Or they would be surprised that I would actually I actually play an instrument in the first place, and so all of that knowing knowing that most I hate to say most people might come with those ideas already, and when I show up and they're like, "Wait, what?" and I'm like, "Yeah," and you know, just go go about my merry way, yeah. using that to my advantage. I don't I don't get upset about that because that's their thinking. That's not mine. I'm already there. It's like their brain, their thought process has not come into actuality. I am the actuality yes. and it, it confuses them. Yeah. So I, I get it. Why waver? And I like the word that you used. Why, why cower to that or take on that definition, mm -hmm. you know, or their limited concept of who you could be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, I don't have to argue with them. They already have that in their brain, but I'm actually there. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, sorry, oh, I'm here. I love that. I love that. I, yeah, it, it, in the music world, I, I you know, it, it can be prominent. Yes, and yeah. yes, I have run into a lot of those things, and um. I, you know, I, I try to go, I don't want to say the legit way. I, I'm, I'm not into gatekeeping and things like that. So one thing I did learn, again, educate yourself on what it is that you want to do. Educate yourself. And so knowing that there were gatekeepers at the time, I was like, I need to get around these gatekeepers. I don't want to have to do the song and dance, the song and dance to uh, be successful. I can do things, other things. And I don't, Success does not have to look a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. And who, who wants to copy anyway, right? Yeah. It becomes kind of lifeless. Very true. Yeah. Um, now, your recordings, I do want to touch upon your, I mean, my gosh, your, your two solo albums, self-produced, mm -hmm. played all the instruments on. And what I'm struck, well, I'm struck by several things. One is knowing that you're a trained opera singer. And then when I hear your softer voice on your recordings, yet it's, it packs such an emotional punch still, takes such skill. But I love how you blend these different musical textures. Well, thank you. Yeah, so I, mean, I really hear that unique sound. Yeah, I had a vision um, of what I wanted. Like again, even before I don't even think I really learned how to play other people's songs, quite honestly. Because I again, mm -hmm. I had the vision. I want to do my own things, even though vocally I did train with you know other people's songs. But when it came to my own sound, 
I wasn't interested in trying to sound like somebody else. I, I enjoyed, you know, different kinds and styles of music. And I knew I wanted, I wanted a mix. I knew I wanted something completely different, yeah. you know? So I, I knew again, getting that opera training that the voice is an instrument. And a lot of people forget that it is an instrument and you can train it and you can give it um, the power, whether it's the, the volume or the dynamic or the timbre of it all yeah. to make the effect that you want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as a creator, no matter what it is you're creating, it could be a movie, a play, um, a piece of art. Every, every brush stroke is a meaning. Every scene in a movie has a meaning. So even the voice, when you're creating a, a song or an album, I wanted all of that to be some kind of way meaningful. I, I yes, I agree. <laughs> Having heard your two solo albums, yes. Yeah, Synergy and Profit and Loss, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you also are in a duo, The Hills and the Holler. Yes. And then also in Black Fox, we have to give that, those plugs in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, two incredibly unique bands. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yes. Um, I, I was also, I think, very resistant to collaborate. And that was another thing. Once I started doing the Nerd Queen thing, um, you know, along the way, there were also people mostly men who wanted to collaborate with me and add things. But knowing what I knew growing up from my dad, you know, sometimes it was like, what can I say? Like, it just reminded me a lot of that whole, like, I can Tina Turner dynamic um, where somebody wants to make you. And I was like, I'm already made with me. I don't need to be yes. made. You know, so... A lot of I've had, you know, those kinds of encounters with 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 people, yeah. and I was like, oh, you know, never mind. It's okay. <laughs> of course, they, you know, response would be, well, you're never going to make it. It's like, well, again, <laughs> success looks different for different people. I don't. I I never wanted to be one of those people who couldn't walk around in the street without somebody, you know, attacking me or saying, oh, you know. I, I, that I never, never wanted, but I do enjoy the creative process and I do enjoy performing. So again, maybe Nerd Queen was that way for me to do that, where I can just go do Nerd Queen and then get off the stage and I'm Monica and go live my life. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of that anonymity. And, um, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I think especially for women, we we can get lost in uh, a collaboration, you know, mm -hmm. with, with, with a male or several males, we can, that, that might be the gravitational pull that maybe is in the DNA. I don't know, but what I so admire about you and I'm so inspired is you're just like, no, nope. no, nope. I'm not going to play that game. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah. Again, the, the up, upbringing from my dad is like, yeah, man. <laughs> not um, we're not male bashing at all, but no, you know, no, not at all. It's the inner workings of what it is to be a man sometimes, and 
I tell my my friends, my girlfriends a lot. It's like a lot of men, they don't know as much as you think they do. They are just as clueless as we are, but they just pretend better, you know? So <laughs> just know that they, they do a lot more to pretend better at, you know, what they don't know, yeah. you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I just love the way you you hold clear boundaries. You know, you just, yeah, you are just so self-defined. That's another word now I'm going <laughs> to attach to, you know, you and how I, you know, think about you. Um, you know, I, I do have one more question. Um, and I, I knew this was going to happen, that there was going to be so much that we could talk about. And I really feel like we're, we're just like getting started so i'm already going to say i would love to have you back sometime monica please do please <laughs> do really you have so much to share and to offer and so my, my final question really is for those that are listening or watching uh, what can you share in terms of you know those that are struggling with their confidence those that are struggling with really just claiming their space in the world well, I would say start with yourself, know yourself. It's hard to, I guess, let go of a lot of, I don't know, something as basic as just turn off the TV, turn off the mm -hmm. phone, turn off the internet, mm -hmm. read a book, take a walk, get away from, turn off the music even, yeah. and just start learning who you really are and what you really want. Because I think that's where it all boils down to. Um, when we suck, suffer from like low self-esteem, it's because we're, we just keep listening to what other people are telling us that we want or need or must have to be loved, to, to have um, just peace of mind, you know? So I think there should be times in our lives, in our daily lives, that we just turn all of it off and just be and learn who we really are. So true. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, that study that's come out about Instagram and how it affects teenage girls. And yeah, there's so much to be said for just dialing things down, turning things off, not this program, of course, but <laughs> and then turn it off. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Monica, it was such a pleasure. I am so inspired by you. I, I truly am. And I, I do hope to, to have you on again in, in the future. Yes, please do. Like um, when I saw the first interview, I was so also very inspired. I'm loving this format and I'm also loving your interview style. I've, I've been interviewed by many people over the years and I really find your approach very refreshing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, I guess what I'll say to that is I've never done this, so I'm just being myself. Good. <laughs> You're doing an awesome job at it. Oh, thank you so much, Monica. All the best and we will talk soon. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. 
I could not wait to have Monica on. And, um, you know, we were putting together a, a dream list at the beginning and her name was just right on there for me and cannot wait to have her back. So I do want to thank Dennis Tardon and Renee Jaworski for creating this opportunity uh, just to have these dialogues, these empowering dialogues, you know, woman to woman. And I'm so grateful to have this opportunity. I love these taping days. I've said it before. So um, our next episode, we are going to have two very special guests on at the same time. And uh, I am looking forward to that. This is Diane Call signing off. And so not only be kind to others, but be kind to yourself. And I will see you next time. This episode of Powered by Women has been brought to you in part by In Search of the New Compassionate Male. For more information, go to newcompassionatemale.com.